Global Recon Podcast. Here are your hosts, John from Global Recon and Mike from Fieldcraft LLC, giving you the matter of facts. GlobalRecon.net, FieldcraftSurvival.com. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm here with Mike Glover, who is the show's co-host. And we have a good episode for you guys. We're going to talk a little bit about Mike's company. We're going to talk about fitness. And we're going to give you guys some workouts that will help train you up for selection or or help get you through that. So first, we're going to start with... uh, I received a question on Instagram. A guy sent me a direct message. And he... He wanted to ask Mike something. So this is for Mike. So here's what the guy said. Hey, I've been loving the podcast. Was hoping you could talk about the impact of special forces on their family and how they are affected. I am an aspiring special forces soldier, but also have a spouse and a young child. I would love to hear anything they have to say on the matter. Thank you and have a great day. Uh, Good question. I I get that question a lot, man, on uh, social media, on DMs and emails. Um, That's an important variable to consider, especially for guys who have families, a lot of guys who are joining the ranks of special forces, whether it's, uh, you know, special operations and different services or U.S. Army special forces. Um, you got a lot of young men who have, you know, a wife, children. And to tell you the truth, when I joined special forces, that wasn't even consideration. And in fact, as a single guy going into special forces, um, I looked at it as like a self-serving, hey, it's all about my country. I'm serving um, myself and, and my boys, and we're, we're, we're getting it done. But when you look at the totality of, hey, w- what happens the day after you graduate the Special Forces Qualification course and get assigned to a, an operational detachment, what does that look like? The The truth of the matter is being in Special Forces is a – is a big sacrifice that a lot of families have to deal with. And it's something that uh, I know General Votel and a lot of the Joint Special Operations and U.S. Army Special Operations and Special Operations Command leadership have been trying to address by helping better balance um, time with family versus time you know, for deployed in combat operations for deployed in training. So when you're in special forces, you know, you're training for missions and we call it red, amber, green, they're cycles, right? So, you know, red would mean you're down. Um, you're not really doing anything, but details you're getting prep, you're prepping equipment, um, going into amber cycle would mean that you're, you're getting prepared for combat. And then obviously, being green means you'd be deployed. So, you know, different different kind of cycles vary on different units, but the premise is you have one-third of your time dedicated to your family, to time off, to downtime. But the reality from being a Green Beret in my entire career is that really doesn't exist. In the U.S. Army, you have 30 days of, of paid vacation that you're, that you're allocated per year. In special operations and most of the military units that I've been in, that time is dictated to you based on the operational tempo of the organization that you work for. So it's not like you could say, hey, I'm going on a family vacation because my kids are going to be on spring break 
and it's going to be convenient and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to take two weeks off. If you have something going on that's operationally required of you, you don't have that time and you'll miss out on a lot of family time. Another consideration is when you're the, the higher or I would say the more elite the organization or the more operational an organization is, uh, maybe more involved in operations, the more downtime that you're the more downtime that you're not really going to have because that unit's usually ramped up for something. And I remember, so I was in a cycle, let's talk about the SIF. You know, I was in a cycle where I was training for combat operations. I would do a combat operation tour, come back, try to get downtime. But in my downtime, because there was so many requirements based on the army, based on the, not just the big army requirements that you had to meet, like the equal opportunity classes, like the, uh, you know, just the admin requirements, but also you had the special operations requirements like sniper school, which is eight to nine weeks, which is Sephardic, which is a CQB school, which is eight to nine weeks, which is free fall school, which is four to five weeks. So you have all these training evolutions that you got to, that you have to go through and it's nonstop. I would say out of a year in special operations, uh, eight to 10 months of that time is training, um, deployed, and maybe you're coming home to the wife and kids depending on where you're located from, in relationship to that training. Um, but it is a hard uh, sacrifice that you have to be willing to accept um, that you have to talk to your spouse about um, to get on the same sheet of music before you go into that. There is there is some statistics going around about special operations and its effects on family, and it's uh, a statistics out there on actual divorce rates, and it's high. It's very high. I mean, um, most people's relationships do not last in special special operation career fields and that's an unfortunate imbalance now they're getting better at it there's there's better management but i will tell you as we get closer to potentially taking the fight to isis that that balance or that imbalance that's getting better to be imbalanced is only going to get worse and that's the harsh reality of it that's my opinion on it um i've seen relationships thrive because you know, hey, when you're away, you're away, but when you're back, you're back. And then that quality time that you spent that's spent back is 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 higher quality. But look, when you go away to war, when you go away to training, you're losing you're you're gaining something, and that gain doesn't come without a loss. And typically that loss is family time, watching your kids grow, and um and it's a sacrifice. I mean that 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 that's part of the the whole entire uh I guess premise behind serving your country is you're you're making a sacrifice. Some people make larger sacrifices than others. Right. So, so pretty much, it's you, especially when you're in a special operations unit that's constantly deployed and always fighting or getting ready to fight. So you're basically training, deploying. You come back, you train some more. You deploy again, you come back. So it's a constant cycle of training, deploying, train, deploying. So. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice, like you said, but I, I like what you said when you said in some relationships that time spent together 
is sweeter. You know, it's like it's it's more it has a better quality to it because you haven't seen your spouse in so long. So I guess I guess going into it, you you, you have to fully accept what it's going to be. And so does your spouse, you know, and I, I think that I mean, I, I can't talk from experience, but, you know, just from the outside looking in, I think that would probably make things clearer if if your spouse fully understands what what she's getting into and and if you fully understand what you, you know what I mean and and that would make things a little easier going forward hopefully you know yeah yeah that that what you say is exactly right it's almost like a a, a contract deal right so when before you make the decision on your own with a family to to follow through with your goals obviously a conversation with your spouse understanding the totality of what you're getting involved in is the key component, but also having a spouse who's independent, who's strong, who is willing um, to make that sacrifice with you. I, I will tell like a little short story, just a just a, a sidebar story. When I was when I was going through special forces training uh, as a single guy early on, I remember being at a bar or being at a nightclub, and there'd be a whole bunch of attractive women, and I'd get to talking to them. And, you know, you know, I'm a young E5, E6, um, sergeant, staff sergeant, special forces candidate in training. And I'm dancing with these attractive women. And I'm like, you know, hey, you know, where are you from? And and uh, are, do you have a boyfriend? And these women, this is in Fayette, Nam, which is Fayetteville, North Carolina, which anybody who's been stationed in Fayetteville <laughs> knows, probably has heard this story because they've experienced it themselves. But that I'm like, uh, do you have a boyfriend? And like, oh yeah, yeah, I got a boyfriend. I actually have a husband. Like, oh, so you're married and you're in the nightclub. Like, okay, so right. that's awkward. Yeah. Like, we're dancing. Where's your husband at? Oh, he's he's deployed. Oh, he's deployed. So we're okay. So you're at a nightclub with your girlfriends. You're like, get trying to get involved with me, and you're married and your husband's deployed. Right. This is even more awkward. And oh, what does your husband do? Oh, my husband's a, a Green Beret. He's a sergeant major in seventh group. Uh yeah. So let me just let me just step out of this and like in the military we say break contact and pop smoke. So I, I would break contact and pop smoke and just get out of those situations because the last thing I want to be is a special forces candidate talking to a sergeant major's wife who's deployed in combat. And the unfortunate thing is in Vietnam, that's that's more typical than it's not. And, and on going back to the point, you have to have a strong independent woman who's willing, uh, mature enough to handle the fact that you're going to be gone. Um, and you know, that's everybody's personal, um, situation or scenario, but Hey, it's, it's, it's not called, you know, a selfless sacrifice for nothing. All right. So, Moving forward, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about fieldcraft. I know we we touched on it just a little bit in, in a previous episode, but you know I would like to get a little further into it. So, what what, what do you got cooking? Like, what what do you got uh, in the works for fieldcraft going forward? So, me and Lynn with fieldcraft, man, it's been it's been a it's been quite the adventure, and it's it's been a positive experience for me thus far. So, I used you know fieldcraft. I started. I've always been interested in survival and preparedness and in all the components and special operations from, you know, 
surviving to to immediate reaction to mindset to physical fitness all these components kind of fit in the realm of survival and preparedness and right now as a company uh, we've con- we've conducted training courses we are spinning up to release equipment soon um we have this podcast and social media following that's been a real positive ex- experience. Um, but we're different, you know, like Phil Kraft's business model was different than a lot of survival companies. And that's the point I try to emphasize every time I talk to somebody, you know, I get, I get a lot of questions like, Hey, you know, I, I like, I want to get more into outdoor wilderness survival and worst case scenarios and, and those kind of deals. My, my whole philosophy on it that we want to make tangible uh, tools for people is if I, when I look at survival preparedness, I think about it like if you're thinking about outdoor survival wilderness, like the whole naked and afraid, like taking a stick, making a fire kind of deal, you've already made a sequence or a series of big mistakes or a meteorite has hit the earth and just completely evaporated infrastructure and you're just in that situation. Um, and it ripped your clothes off somehow and now you got a stick and you're trying to make a fire. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's worst case scenario. And what I, what I equate it to is like when a doctor is treating you, they're, they're treating symptoms of an illness, but they're not, you know, they're not in the business of eradicating illness. They're in the business of sit, systematically or diagnostically addressing symptoms, you know, and then they look technically at the situation and see if they could suppress the symptom, but there might be an overall illness that could be causing it that they can't prevent. You know, it could, like you can go in and say, Hey, my stomach hurts and they go, okay, well, here's 10 different things you could do. Oh, it still hurts. Oh, it's cancer. Well, sorry, I got nothing for you. Well, when you look at survival and preparedness, there's there's ten different people teaching you ten different things in the woodline about how to make fires, about how to skin game, about how to survive. Well, I want to be the scientist in the lab teaching you how to prevent, teaching you how to react, teaching you uh, the tools necessary uh, to have the right mindset to not end up in the situations or to react to them appropriately. And I think uh, last episode we talked about the 10-80-10 rule. You know, 10% of people are, you know, going to die, 80% or like 50-50, and then 10% are going to survive because they have the right tools necessary. Like Alex discussed in the last episode, he had the right mindset to survive that situation. So so I want to address like the the things that you you could do in mindset and the tools and equipment that you could have um, and the training processes to prevent you from being naked and really afraid, um, you know, that's important. Right, so, and and that's what, and and you have a, a class, a training class, you call it the ops course, and you teach a, a lot of what you just spoke about. You teach the mindset, and, and then you, you, you go on some, you teach some technical skills as well, <clears throat> like shooting and stuff like that, right? Yeah, the ops. So my my big take on tactics, man, and you know, I've told uh, I've told I've told you, I think, in the conversation before, I don't teach tactics for profit, and I, it's a personal 
personal opinion from nothing against anybody who teach tactics um, to anybody. It's an important element to survival, but the military special operations specifically taught me tactics and I don't like building business models off of teaching tactics to, to civilians. I, I will teach tactics to law enforcement, to uh, first responders, to civilians for free that are potentially going to save their life. But I don't, that's not my model. My model is, uh, you know, like the ops course, observe, uh, prepare and survive is kind of like a snapshot of our overall business where we, we kind of touch on certain aspects of mindset of, uh, training processes and of how your body and how your mind react under different stressors and go to, go to Facebook. My Facebook's Philcraft LLC and you'll see, read some good reviews that I think, um, some students wrote about kind of that, that, that experience and that ops course for us is like basic training. You know, you go to the ops course, you get an experience, you understand kind of what it it's like to be in a survival situation. I gave you some tools and takeaways that you could learn on your own uh, or you could you could continue training on your own. And then I have a minimalist evasion course coming out that's going to be uh, coming out the end of March, which will be good. So, and you also have a, a kit coming out, a, a minimalist kit, right? Can you talk a little bit about the kit that you have coming out? Yeah, so, the, you know, if you if you Google Go Bag, and I, this is the reason I I made this kit. If you Google Go Bag, you could buy a thousand different Go Bags that have that are full of band aids and bacitracin and bug juice and a bunch of garbage that really isn't going to do anything for you. Some of them are better than others, and you know they're 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 scalable. You know, and I like some of the companies that are, that are putting out some stuff. But for the most part, they're garbage. So what I did is part of my tra- part of my special operations career was like an overt, like direct action, landing on the X, you know, going after bad guys. And another portion of my career was reconnaissance, underground, um, you know, clandestine kind of operations. And you had to be what we call reduced signature. You had to reduce your signature and be a little bit more covert. So in that environment of being covert, being more clandestine, you have to be, uh, you have to reduce your signature and reduce the size of your kit because you, you can't carry around a three-day assault, assault bag that's made of molly and is camouflaged. I mean, you just can't do it. And you can't bag out, you know, a full line of equipment from guns to medical equipment to survival equipment. So what I did based on the training that I've been through, I've been through all these SEER schools, SEER 215, 245, 250, all these acronyms, SEER C. I I built a kit that I call the minimalist evasion kit. And it's cool because Lynn, you know, who's she used to model and used to be into to fashion and and she looked at the kit and like this is inconvenient. People aren't going to carry, you know, a, a survival kit that's this size. So we looked at it and I said, hey, in, in low-vis environments, I carry this kit specifically and inside of a uh, a small pack that usually is in a, a man purse or a MERS or a – I usually carry a fly fishing bag. 
uh, overseas, but I stuff all this stuff in a small container. Well, we took those items, prioritized them, and then basically built a four by six minimalist kit that, you know, it's in pink, it's in multicam, it's in black, it's in different colors, um, but fits everything that you need to survive for a 72 hour period of time. And I based that 72 hour period of time based on the amount of water that you could purify, which is uh, uh, approximately 20 to 21 liters, which, you know, five to seven liters are required to maintain really, in my opinion, optimal hydration levels before you start to deteriorate. Five to seven liters. I just drank two monsters today and I haven't had any water and I'll probably be good by the afternoon. But optimally, 72 hour period of time uh, to survive. Uh, it includes medical, includes fire, includes keeping your body warm. And there's a whole kit that's coming out on February, uh, I think we're releasing it on the 22nd on Monday. But our first ops course that we conduct on February 20th is going to be have access to be able to purchase that. And then we'll have it on our website. And then at the end of March, sorry to be long-winded about this, but at the end of March, we want to take that kit and I want to run a 48-hour training uh, uh, I call it evolution where basically I give you this kit, I give you $10 and I'm going to put you on a guided tour on how to evade from an urban to a rural environment. And it's going to be real exciting, involved with a lot of auxiliary underground um, injects, a whole bunch of cool stuff that, that we're looking forward to, to moving forward with. So th- that's going to be a course, right? That, that, uh, this 48 hour, um, uh, training that's going to be a training evolution right a training course that people can sign up for yeah absolutely we'll start marketing for it at the end of february and it's going to be called the Minim- minimalist evasion course um and it's actually based on an actual course that that i've been to um i, I i've uh just not dumbed it down but made it a little bit more simple because the course that i've been to is a 21 day course um but it's it's like the culmination of the course and and What's exciting about it is you'll fly in to a location that I'll give you at a time and place. We'll meet, we'll train, and then I'm basically going to take you on a guided tour through the city, and we're going to evade an urban environment and try to get to a safe, safe house in a in a rural environment, miles, miles from our location. Um, that replication uh, scenario or evolution is the replication of a man-made or natural catastrophe and bugging out or evading with the kit, with what you have on your person, um, getting from point A to point B, which is getting from, uh, a danger zone to a survival or survivable, um, situation. Well, that sounds very interesting. Um, and I, I think that's something that most of the population probably cannot do or, or they're not aware of, of uh, you know, how to do certain things. Uh, so that's very important. And, and like Mike said, you can just check his website, uh, his social media. You know, I'll post some stuff on my social media and, and we'll talk about it on the podcast, getting closer to some of those dates. And you can get updates about the, the kid and, and about the courses. So uh, moving forward now, we're going to talk a little bit about fitness and uh, uh, more specifically objective fit. And we'll, we'll give you guys a workout that you can do that'll help some people. Uh, in terms of the survival realm, you have to be fit, uh, you know, to to do certain things in survival. And then, as well as anyone who's trying to make it into a special operations unit 
or past selection, these workouts will help get you uh, where you want to be. In our last few episodes, we've been talking about Phil Craft Objective Fit, and we've been getting a lot of traffic about Objective Fit and kind of, you know, number one, what is an Objective Fit? And just a reminder, Objective Fit is a uh, program that me and two started in combat. You know, we were downrange trying to figure out some functional fitness exercises to do to make us um, better physically fit Special Forces soldiers. Um, so in this and I think every uh, po- podcast moving forward, we like to give just a little advice besides the advice we're giving on DMs and emails about ways to, to prepare for uh, in mindset and physical fitness. Um, John's going to give you a workout on calisthenics. I'll give you one on high interval training uh, and we'll go from there. <clears throat> the workout that I want to give you guys, it's a, uh, a dip workout. You do it on the, on the parallel bars or the dip bars. And it's a combination of repetition and static movement, static holds. So we're going to work in the downs method. So basically that means you take a number, we'll do five down, right? And you're going to do five. Then on the next set, you do four. And then the next set, three. And you work down till you hit one. So that's why we call it the downs method. So here's a workout that we used to do a lot. And basically, we'll start at a number, we'll say seven. Now, seven is probably a little advanced, and if if seven is too much, then you can just drop it to six. If six is too much, then try five. But you don't want to go too low. You want to push yourself. So what you're going to do is you're going to do seven dips, right? After you hit your seventh dip, you're going to fully extend your arms and hold. Your, your feet are never going to touch the floor throughout this entire workout. So you hold for five seconds. Once you're done with that five-second hold, then you go into six dips. And then you hold on the sixth dip at the top again, five seconds. And then you do it with five, four, three, two, one. Um, so if you get to the point, this is really going to burn your shoulders and your and your triceps. So if you get to the point where you, you start to shake and you feel like you, you absolutely cannot hold it anymore, step off, you know, shake your shake your arms a little bit. Give yourself a couple of seconds, but make sure you finish the set. And and that's just one thing that we always do. If you can't finish the workout, then you can get off the bar, or the pull-up bar or whatever, and just give yourself a couple of seconds and step right back into it and make sure you finish. So that's a good shoulder workout, triceps. You're going to hit the top of your chest, your upper chest. And you, as always, with most of the calisthenic workouts, you'll hit a little bit of your core as well. Um, I, moving on, I think with the calisthenics, something that always goes hand in hand that me and two have always done is we've added high intensity uh, interval training to our workouts. And I, I talked about it a little bit before, but just you know, the basic premise of high intensity interval training is you want, you know, in a short period of time, you want to shock your central nervous system. You kind of want to, I say it again and again, break yourself off because what you're doing is you're increasing the, um, you're, you're basically boosting your metabolism, but you're, you're, it's, you're increasing your heart rate to the point and extent in which when you leave the gym, you're burning more overall calories throughout the day uh, by doing a high intensity interval uh, workout. One of the ones that we like to use to do and the whole entire point of this is to um, decrease the amount of time it takes your body to recover after 
a high intensity event or high intensity uh, physical uh, fitness event is I get on a treadmill and this is, we just call it, you know, we could do it with anything. You could do it with a bike, a treadmill, uh, a row machine, but I'll get on a treadmill and I'll warm up three. Typically warming up is three to five minutes and you're just moving at a leisurely walk turns into a jog and I'll just scale it based on the numbers. It varies depending on your physical fitness abilities, but typically I'll start it off at like a 7.0 measurement on the, on the actual uh, treadmill and I'll do a three to five minute run. And when I'm warmed up and good to go, I'll jump off and then I'll, I'll, I'll basically grab the edges and I'll jump off of it, put my feet to the side and I'll jet, I'll, um, crank up the speed to like an 8.5. So once it, it's at an 8.5 and this takes some practice. So be careful when you're at the gym doing this kind of use the side. I mean, that's what they're, they're there for. It's like almost like bar dip bars going down the side to support you. Grab them and then get your feet moving on on the treadmill and then you'll start like a small sprint. When you start start that small sprint, do that sprint for about a minute and then jump off of it and then relax and break for about 30 seconds. Now, your breaks can vary depending on the shape that you're in can vary from 30 seconds but no longer than a minute, no longer than the period that you're actually exerting, uh, you know, physical, um, uh, you know, your physical exertion. So a minute on, thirty seconds off. Then you jack it up to nine point zero, and then you, you you repeat it. A minute on at nine point zero, get off, rest thirty seconds, get it up to nine point five, and then you go in point five increments. The advanced um, workout of this would be. You would start off at like 9.0. You would do it for a minute. And then instead of getting off of the treadmill, I would stay on the treadmill and have, you know, enough control and because, you know, have a, you're at a high rate of physical fitness to lower and decrease the speed myself or I jump off and decrease it myself to like a 7.0. So you're always moving. So you're going from a sprint to an active jog back to a sprint. You could do this at your local uh, track as well. Um, you know, we call it uh, sprinting the straightaways. So you sprint the straightaway, which is a uh, hundred yards typically, and then you're jogging the corners, which would give you a good rest period. And then you're sprinting the straightaways. So again, the point is spiking your heart rate, getting down to a point in which you're rested. Spiking your heart rate, getting to a point you're rested. And I would on a treadmill, on a um, a row machine, on a bike. I would do this for at least 10 reps at a minimum. If you're in, when I was in optimal shape, I would do this for 10 sets and I would do, uh, at the end of that 10 sets, I would crank it up to like 12.0 and jump on it for 30 seconds, jump off for 30 seconds, jump on for 30 seconds and finish up with five sets of that. So a total of 15 sets. And then when I was in really good shape, I would take it from the treadmill because it it's working one, you know, obviously it's a full body motion uh, workout running. It's a really good uh, exercise, but it's high impact. I would move from there to the row machine and do the same exact thing on the row machine with the interval training, which would work obviously a different set of muscles. Um, that's just an example, but you could apply it kind of to anything that you're doing. Biking, you know, standing up uh, out of the saddle, um, it cranking up the intensity or cranking up the uh, the force 
um, at, and you just like climbing a hill, doing that for a minute and then sitting down in the saddle and then reducing it for 30 seconds or, or, or a minute is the same exact, uh, uh, you'll get the same exact benefit, which is a high intensity interval training. That's just an example. Yeah. And, and high intensity, high intensity interval training is scientifically proven to <clears throat> burn fat and build muscle. The really the best way in, in terms of a, a cardio workout, and and that's the difference between aerobic and anaerobic exercising, and and that's uh, so aerobic exercising would be just jogging, you know, six point five or something or seven, and just keeping that maintaining that pace. Some people, you know, you run twenty minutes, thirty minutes, whatever you're running, but the anaerobic is when you're building muscle and you're shocking your system, and that's what the high intensity interval training is doing for you. So. Uh, as always, you know we really enjoy doing the show, and, and we appreciate the uh, the feedback we're getting. It's always positive, and we, we try and improve as much as we can. And, and and we listen to all the emails and the, and the, the DMs we get. People may have something they say, oh, you know, speak up a little bit or do this, do that. And, and we're, we're trying our best to give you guys the best uh, show that we can. So. Uh, be on the lookout for the next episode. Uh, we'll probably put it out in a couple of days. We're going to try and touch on the subject of PTSD and and uh, some things that guys can do to help themselves or, you know, and list some resources. And as always, you know, we appreciate the feedback and we'll, we'll see you guys in a couple of days. You can catch Mike on his website at fieldcraftsurvival.com. His Instagram is Soft Survivor, that's SOF Survivor, and his Facebook is Fieldcraft LLC. My website is globalrecon.net. My Instagram is IG Recon, and my Facebook is FB Recon. Uh, be on the lookout for Mike's minimalist kit. Uh, be on the lookout for his next courses. They're going to be very good. And you can, you have any questions about the podcast or anything we spoke about, you can send an email to podcast at globalrecon.net. Once again, that's podcast at globalrecon.net. We answer every single email. We answer every single direct message on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is. We'll always respond to you. And at times, we will answer the questions on the show as we did in, in this episode. So, Mike, you have anything you want to close out with? No, just just highlight when you said, man, we appreciate the support and look forward to um, talking about, um, you know, the the subjects that are important to us in the next episode about PTSD. But also, we will have a guy on who was involved in uh, the whole operation to rescue Marcus Trail and maybe tell tell you guys some things that that you didn't know about that that whole mission set that involved U.S. Army Special Forces. So that'd be interesting. So I appreciate it. All right, we'll see you guys in a couple of days. Peace.